Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson. And this is The Enemies List. Beto, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. You know, I wanted to get some insights from you. As a guy who has run twice in Texas, once against the most hated man in the universe, Ted Cruz, and in another run against a guy who is really one of the most loathsome governors out there, I wanted to get a sense from you on where you think Texas is headed. Are there green shoots out there for the Democratic Party in Texas? You know, what works, what doesn't. So I just want to have a sort of freewheeling conversation about that because it is a state that matters at, at such a scale that I think a lot of people underestimate what the consequences would be if Texas actually became competitive. 40 electoral college votes. Um, you know, it, it could forever change not just the political landscape, but the future of this country on <laughs> any issue that matters to anyone in America. I mean, that, that, that is the, the greatest potential right there. Um, certainly in a state that leads the nation in school shootings, that has had more cops gunned down than any other state in the union, that is the least insured in America, where more children die of diabetes than anywhere else, where the governor can't keep the lights on in the energy capital of the world. Um, you know, a, a state that has so much extraordinary unmet potential. I, I don't know that there's a more important place on the planet or certainly in this country right now than Texas. And I think that explains, Rick, why I and so many others, I mean, literally, you know, thousands of us have been doing this work uh, for so long, some some longer than others. And, you know, is it disappointing to, to lose to, to Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott? A absolutely. But it is incredibly fulfilling to be doing the work. And when we can separate it from a candidate or a campaign and just look at that potential that I described and the fact that there are so many people who today are unreflected in this government. I mean, the, the most galling number of all is there are more than 9 million eligible Texans who didn't vote in the 2022 election <sighs> Three out of four that's young people. That's astounding. That yep. is astounding. So in a state with the most extreme abortion ban in America, a state that bore witness to Uvalde and the governor shown up the next day and the first words out of his mouth are, it could have been worse. In a state that has so much going on that's bad that we want to stop and that's good mm -hmm. that we could actually accomplish with the right people in power, the fact that so many either choose not to vote or are effectively functionally prohibited from voting, a state that has among the most restrictive voter ID laws, a racial gerrymander that has drawn people out based on race and ethnicity, um, a, a state that 
uh, effectively targets those communities that are thought most likely to vote for Democrats, there, there's a real impact to, to all of that. But um, I am so hopeful just because I've traveled the state so much, met so many people. Um, there's too many good folks out there for us not to eventually prevail. And this shit isn't easy. If it is, we would have figured it out by now. But 1990 was the last year that a Democrat won for governor in Texas. It happens sure. to have been the best of all time. And Richards. And, and I know that <laughs> we have been up against bigger challenges before and have overcome them. We're going to overcome this one. It's just taken a little bit longer than any of us wants it to. You know, I think that I think that that remembrance of Ann Richards, she was from an era where where the Democrats were considered to be people who would get in a scrap. They'd get in a brawl. And I think that was part of your appeal both times is that you were willing to say occasionally, like, drop the F-bomb and occasionally say, stop this shit, um, it, that it had a little more energy and edge to it than the sort of gentry Democrats that, or, or the sort of like policy style Democrats that got, that have, that have in many places sort of been the go-to candidates for a long time. So one of the things though, I mean, in, in real talk, the Democratic Party of Texas needs to get on that blocking and tackling shit pretty hardcore. I mean, it seems to me that this is like all the ingredients for the cake are there, but it doesn't seem to rise. We don't seem to quite get it into the oven the right way. And and what is it that the party needs to do like at the baseline stuff, the 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 not glamorous blocking and tackling stuff to, to get into a position where it's competitive again and where when you have a candidate who's a fighter, they can get all the they have all the infrastructure behind them and all the all the the mechanicals behind them. Yeah, I, I think you, you're hitting on something that helps to explain the otherwise inexplicable with so much potential, with so many millions of people who really don't want to live in a state where abortion is completely banned, where their kids aren't safe in school, where you know the minimum wage is still $7.25 an hour. Why in the hell can we not win elections, not just statewide elections, state representative elections, congressional elections? And, and I think you're right that, you know, every now and then you're going to have a candidate. And I happen to have been one in 2018 and one in 2022 who's able to raise a significant amount of money. I raised about $80 million in, in each of those races. And I can use that money, and I did, to do a lot of things, primarily the organizing voter contact work, literally showing up at a voter's door in Houston, Texas, in the southeast part of our state, the biggest city in Texas, but also showing up at their door in Amarillo in the bright red panhandle right. of the state of Texas mm -hmm. and funding local organizing at the block level. But once that $80 million is spent, once that election is called, all of that infrastructure by and large goes away. And where you right. want that to reside permanently, and you're making the case in your question, is within the state party and most effective, functional, well-funded state parties across this country are able to do that. The Texas Democratic Party, unfortunately, is not. And, and I think that has a lot to do with how poorly funded they are year in and year out. We get hot for a right. second, money comes in, primarily to the candidate and the campaign, and, and then it stops. So the work that you're talking about, voter registration, where you have an incredibly young population. You have a lot of people who are aging into the electorate, a lot of people who are naturalizing into the electorate. Man, the mm -hmm. state party should be on that shit day in and day out, uh -huh. election year, non-election year. They should be maintaining every, every contact minute. with those voters, cleaning up the voter file. I have done 
more phone banks than I care to remember as a volunteer, <laughs> as a candidate. I, I have dialed tens of thousands of numbers and and I would guess somewhere around half of those numbers are wrong. And, and that's a primary function, I think, in a functional state party to have the yeah. cleanest, best, most up-to-date data. And we just we just don't have that. You probably know the precise numbers, but Georgia, which is a third of our population, mm-hmm. probably has received over the last five years 10 times plus the amount of investment, you know, measured in the billions oh, yeah. from the national party, national donors, mm-hmm. national independent expenditures, Texas a very, very, very small fraction of that. And and I think that helps to explain two somewhat similar Southern states with two wildly different outcomes over the last three election cycles. So we we do need a a better funded uh, and, and far more effective state party so that we're not reliant upon personalities or candidates or individual campaigns. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Well, if it makes you feel any better, the Florida Democratic Party you know, basically is, it makes the Texas Democratic Party look like the Death Star. It's, 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 it's so far gone that it's hard to even know who's in charge at any given minute. My friend Nikki Free just got named as chairman, and God bless her, but it's going to be a, that's a high hill to climb. So when you're campaigning, look, Texas is a pretty crazily diverse state. It's got some of the most conservative people in the universe in it. And it's got some some suburban moderation in the Dallas, Texas suburbs and, and the Austin suburbs to a degree. And it's got some pretty progressive spots, you know, Houston, Austin. But the, the area of Texas that fascinates me the most, and I see how much work the Republicans are putting in on it, is the Rio Grande Valley, where they're attempting to basically cut you guys off at the pass from reaching Latino voters down there and holding them as part of the Democratic coalition. What's your experience been in that in that part of the state, first off? And and what, what should the Democrats be doing and candidates down there be doing more broadly? I think this is a problem of our own making. Uh, and when I say our own making, uh, Democrats. Um, you know, in, in parts of the state... Um, I mentioned the Panhandle in Amarillo earlier, or mm-hmm. East Texas, mm-hmm. or or rural Texas, which by landmass is the vast, overwhelming majority oh, yeah. uh, of the state of Texas, which with much higher voter turnout than any other part of the state. And there are rural parts of 
the Texas-Mexico border, these these border counties uh, <laughs> along uh, the border with, with Mexico. Democrats just literally have not shown up in, not in years, but in decades in some case. And okay. so okay. W- when I started going in 2018, in 2022, people would say, this is the first statewide Democratic candidate I've seen since Ann Richards back in 1990 or 1994. And look, that's great. I love hearing that. But but it really doesn't mean a whole bunch if there isn't sustained investment and involvement. By that same token, places like the Rio Grande Valley and Houston and Dallas, for that matter, are places that Democrats have taken for granted. And not everyone. And there are exceptions sure. to this, um, you know, telling of, of the tale. But, um, you know, w- we are reaping the consequences of taking people for granted based on their race or their ethnicity. And, you know, I'd like to say present company excluded, and there are other folks I could point to, but by and large, I think this is true. And that left the Rio Grande Valley, it leaves other parts of Texas ripe for competition. And my hat's off to Republicans, though though I don't always approve of, of the tactics and the level of malice and lies and misinformation, all that stuff. But in terms of the um, the initiative, and the work ethic and the going out there and the hustle hustling for voters that have traditionally mm-hmm. not been theirs, hats off. And and Democrats better get their act together. And it means not just campaigning, but it means delivering. As you probably know, most of these communities today are represented by Democrats, you know, at the local level, in the county commissioner's right. court, in in the state legislature, in the state senate. And while it's difficult for those in minority positions in those two bodies at the local level um, and really at every level, we've got to be able to deliver. If that's constituent services, if that's connecting mm-hmm. your grandfather uh, who served in, in Vietnam with his service-connected disability benefits, get that shit done and show right. that when Democrats are in power, we are able to, to deliver. And I'll tell you one other factor. And I know that very often, national Democrats conflate Hispanic voters with an interest in immigration. And that's obviously not necessarily not, true. Not Go to the Rio Grande Valley and folks will say, hey, Rick, I've been here for six generations. The, the last thing on my mind is immigration. Mm-hmm. The first thing on my mind is a job, a job that pays, the ability to afford health care, the quality right. of my kids' schools. But having said that, there are a lot of young Latino voters that I have been hearing from from across the state who say, why is it that when Democrats are in power and when they have the White House, the House of Representatives and the Senate, as we most recently did, we're unable to move forward on something like immigration that Democrats run on every single election cycle. So, you know, with the caveat and a big one that President Biden has delivered in, in really unprecedented ways in terms of reducing childhood poverty in states like Texas, investing in infrastructure that we badly need in our state, meeting the pandemic head on and being by and large successful, really doing an exemplary job in his management of our involvement in the war in Ukraine. He's doing a great job in all those areas, but but we've got to get given the unprecedented attacks that, that we face and the very real possibility of losing places like the Rio Grande Valley over time, we've really got to up our game and really have to deliver for communities who I would argue have been taken for granted in the past. You know, I I, I think that's I think you're exactly on point. That's a problem that Democrats have at scale. It's not just Texas; that's everywhere. 
you know, Democrats are shocked to discover that that Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis went out and spent tens of millions of dollars to talk to Puerto Rican voters in Florida who should not in any political model be gettable. And yet they went out and did the work because the Democrats, and I, I told, I've told the story on my books in 16, I, I asked the Clinton campaign, I'm like, you guys are talking to these Puerto Ricans in Orlando, right? You're talking to this huge 300,000 block of voters, right? I'm like, oh yeah, we've got it. Top men. It's like Indiana Jones, top men are on the job. Well, they weren't. And, and it's like this, this is a problem the Democratic Party, I think, has to wrestle with at, at a national level because African-American men are drifting towards Republicans, which is something that 20 years ago, you would have laughed if somebody said that to us. We would have gone like, oh, yeah, sure. Um, and, and and Hispanic men are, I wouldn't say they're racing to Republicans, but they're moving a lot faster than even African-American men. So that problem is a definite one where the the the... Your ethnicity should determine your political behavior, and that's it. And we take it for granted. That is a. I think that has got to be put far in the rearview mirror in the in the future. I a hundred percent agree with you. And having just spent you know nine out of every ten nights and days out in Texas, away from home, over the course of this last sure, year, I've had sure. a chance to listen to so many people. And Rick, they're they're saying in their own words exactly what you just said. They they, they feel taken for granted. Um, they feel that you know Democrats um, act like they have them in the bag already. So we're going to go chase that white suburban soccer mom. And I know that's a dated, you know, uh, cliche, you know, but, but, goal, but, a tr- but, but like the, the the cliche has the advantage of being true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and look, I, I'm I'm not the most clearly, and I and I don't mean this facetiously. I'm not the most sophisticated candidate, and I think there are plenty of valid criticisms of of the campaigns we've run. But one thing I really, really strongly believe in in Texas is you've got to be there in each of those 254 counties. And folks say, well, are you going to, is it going to be the urban vote, Beto, or or is it going to be the suburban vote? uh, Or are you going to focus on the border? And I just don't think in a state like Texas, and and if we were to broaden the discussion nationally, that we have the luxury uh, of choosing where we're going to campaign and for whom we are going to fight. It really has to be for everyone. And in the same way that in, in no scenario should some of these voters that we lost in 16 and in 20 be voting for Republicans, I would argue in rural Texas, although this is going to sound laughable to some folks who are who are listening to this right now, um, there's no reason that those voters should not be ours. Whose schools are failing worse than anyone else's? Where have more public hospitals closed down? Where is it harder to get online to look for a job or find a date tonight? It is in rural Texas where because Democrats have failed to show up and compete, Republicans can take their constituents for granted. There's Mm -hmm. no competition. There's no accountability for delivery or failure thereof. We should go out there and clean up and I think take a page out of Republicans book and go compete on, on what they believe to be their home turf. And to bring this back to where we started, that's going to require a lot of money. It's going to require a lot of candidates mm-hmm. sticking their neck out there and and showing up to run for office when the odds are, are clearly going to be against them from the start. It's going to require a lot of work over a very long time. But I know, I know it is possible. This is a state that through LBJ produced the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. This is a state mm-hmm. that produced... Ralph Yarbrough and and Ann Richards. I mean, we, we are not necessarily as dyed in the wool or into our bones conservative as some may think. We are unique. We're independent. We're different than so much of the rest of this country. But this is a winnable state for Democrats. 
As a listener to this podcast, you know democracy is in danger in America and beyond. This titanic challenge requires a powerful response, and that's why Resolute Square was founded. The Enemies List is part of the Resolute Square family. We're a pro-democracy network. The Enemies List is just one part of Resolute Square's pro-democracy content and coverage. Our members get particularly exciting benefits. Exclusive live roundtable discussions with me, Reed Galen, Stuart Stevens, and Joe Trippi. In those discussions, you can ask us questions directly, as if you are in the room at a campaign strategy session. In these sessions, we'll give folks answers on how to fight back against the crazy, how to push back against the MAGA media, and how to communicate effectively in the battle for our democracy. We're building a new arsenal for democracy, and we could use your support. Head over to ResoluteSquare.com enemies to let the world know where you stand. I, I, everybody's got a morning ritual. I know I do. And I want to feel like I'm getting my day going. I want to feel like I'm moving. And more than coffee sometimes, it's making sure you're clean, squared away, put together. You can get your day started by upping your shave game with Harry's sleekest razor yet, the craft handle. I like to use it because I've got to shave this giant dome of mine every day. So I got to keep it shiny. I have a beard, but I keep my neck clean front and back, do all the miscellaneous trimming. And the new craft handle, it actually is a lot more precision, at least that I found, with the new grip. I really like it a lot. You'll be getting quality shaving for a really amazing price. For now, they're offering the craft handle starter set for 10 bucks. It's a $17 value. So this is something you really should try. And if you don't like it, it's on them, guys. They stand behind the product. They guarantee it. How can you get a hold of the craft handle, the latest, greatest from Harry's? It's simple. Get it delivered to your door for 10 bucks at harrys.com slash enemies list. That's harrys.com slash enemies list. I think that I think you just you keyed something that I and I go back to Ann Richards again. It is a state, I think, where a Democrat who is an iconoclast can win. You know, it's got to be somebody who's going to take the Texas way to Washington, not bring the Washington way to Texas. Exactly. I'm, I've often looked around in the sort of voter behavior in Texas, and there is an awful there are some deep waters that have been not not thoroughly fished by the Democrats with suburban Republican women. In Houston and Dallas, in particular, the more affluent areas of those of those two cities, there are a lot of Republican women who are functionally or or overtly pro-choice, and I think that that is an area where I saw that you were you had started to touch on it during Dobbs, but it is I think Dobbs may have a bigger impact. How do you think Democrats should go at that in Texas? I mean, my my opinion in part was you you basically say to people, listen, no matter what you think about abortion, there's no goddamn state I want to live in where the governor sets up snitches with rewards for snitching on women who get abortions. What the hell is that about? But I, I wanted to get your take on that because I know you were trying to reach some of that that audience. I could sort of sense it in the campaign in 22, but I want to. I would like to hear more about what you think about that. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, here's a state that deeply values independence, cherishes freedom, and it's the same state where a governor and the majority in the state legislature of Republicans are offering bounties for folks to report anyone who facilitates access to reproductive health care, namely an, an abortion. Um, a state that has decided uh, you know, that whatever your physician says, whatever you yourself want to do with your own future and your own body, that the government knows better. That, that is antithetical to, to any classical definition right. of a Republican or conservative or a Texan for that matter, 
that that I understand. And so, you know, I, I wonder. You know, th- this is this is a, a, you know more of a thought experiment than anything. But if if the election were held in the summer, you know, looking at what happened in Kansas, looking sure. at what happened in special elections in in Alaska and New York and Minnesota mm-hmm. and elsewhere, man, I, I think the salience of that issue amongst the people that you're talking about right now. Um, women in suburbs who've traditionally voted for Republicans and other women in other demographics and other parts of the state as well, I think you would have had a much different outcome, at a minimum, a much, much closer race. By the time we turn the corner into October and into early voting at the end of that month, Abbott, who spent upwards of $140 million, right. so uh, almost two to one over over what I spent, was very successful at turning the conversation into the threat of migration and border security versus his administration of the electricity grid, the outflight of talent from public schools, the abortion ban, the Uvalde shooting, gun laws that have led to so many children being slaughtered in their classroom. These are the issues we wanted to talk about in terms of the referendum on on his failed leadership. And, And I've got to think you know, the national conversation turning, uh, the effectiveness of the campaign that that Abbott ran. And I want to give credit where credit is due. Sure. Uh, it, it was a very smart campaign on his part. No public a- a- appearances right. whatsoever. Right. No town halls. Submarine campaign. <clears throat> all, Absolutely. All one, TV one and digital, debate. nothing else. Yeah. One debate. And, and you know Texas, so so this will make sense to you. His his um, insistence on having that debate on a Friday night in football right. season, of course, in Texas, of course, it, there is zero audience that that is not at a high school football That's game right. That's uh, right. in in the Friday night lights in in this state. So, super smart campaign from from where he was, um, but we really tried our best. Our our advertising was was focused on that mm-hmm. issue, uh, very much towards that demographic, and we had the largest field and organizing campaign in Texas history at people's doors, person to person talking about this as well. So, you know, we, we, we really gave it our best. And I think that the turn in, in the national conversation, the effectiveness of the Abbott campaign, and probably some things that we should have done differently as we review 2022 in this campaign probably all help to answer that question you just asked. Right. Well, I think I think that leads me to my next my next question is what's next for you, man? What are you up to now and what are you thinking about and and, and how are you going to continue you know because I think look you you have now done something that very few people do and that's run two statewide campaigns in Texas. That's a that is something that is a, a an education for a candidate that is largely unparalleled in this country. Um I mean it it, it and you've got you've got a you're sort of a household name there. Um, where do you see your leadership going from here? What are you up to now? And uh, and what's what's in the future? Couple things. It, most immediately, I'm I'm in the middle of a semester uh, teaching a seminar course at the University of Chicago, essentially around voting rights, democracy, told through the experiences and the history in the state of Texas, um, looking at the all white primary that existed here from 1923. Sure. Mm-hmm to 1944, mm-hmm. and how the state that was at the epicenter of voter suppression is the same state that produced LBJ and the Voting Rights Act of 65 that creates the first true multiracial democracy in, in American history. Um, I wrote a book that was published last year. Terrible time to publish a book. You're in the middle of a, of a <laughs> gubernatorial campaign, but I'd 
written it the year before. It had been sold to a publisher. It's called We've Got to Try. And, and it's essentially about how we've been up against challenges like the one that you and I are talking about right now in Texas in our history. And we've overcome those challenges against much greater odds. I'm confident that we're going to overcome these challenges as well. So getting to share the stories from that book, um, the people who populate those stories, you know, as I travel the state of Texas is something that I really enjoy doing. And then lastly, we started this organization at the end of 2019 called Powered by People okay. that is based and focused on Texas around voting rights, voter registration. We've helped to register about 260,000 Texans so far, Terrific. adding them to the rolls. And then answering some of these questions that you posed in this interview today, how, how do we better connect with people who are a natural constituency for issues around reproductive healthcare freedom or you know, high quality education or the ability to see a, a doctor and be able to afford to be healthy and well enough to go to that job. And when we're speaking of that job, the kind of jobs that pay the kinds of salaries that people should be able to expect here in, in the state of Texas. So, you know, all of those things are going to keep me busy. And I do want to leverage that that unique experience sure. that you just described to help other candidates um, do better than I've done, you know, to, to win these races, including winning statewide races. Someone and and it's going to be a good person. I don't know who it is yet is going to run against Ted Cruz in 2024. And after just a, a an abysmal record in the United States Senate, absolutely failing to deliver for Texas, his participation in the attempted insurrection on the yeah. 6th of January 2021, leaving the state of Texas when 700 people died because the electricity yeah. went out for tens of millions and went to the Ritz-Carlton in Cancun. Someone is going to have a field day with that. And I think has really every opportunity to be able to beat them. Whoever that is, I want to help them. And I want to help with races up and down the ballot. We have extraordinary voter data after meeting people where they are for the last five years. And I want, I want to make sure that we leverage that to help folks win these incredibly important races. And then when it comes to the presidential election, you know, Biden got closer than any Democrat since mm -hmm. maybe Carter or maybe Clinton in I think in I think I think ninety I think ninety two ninety two ninety two I think it was ninety two yeah but yeah and, and he did that and, and you know this Rick he he spent uh, close to zero dollars right. in the state of Texas and improved upon the performance of every other Democratic nominee going all the way back to either ninety six or ninety two imagine what a little bit of investment would do going into 2024. So I, I want to help make the case to, you know, to the president, to the national party and to national donors that, that this is a, a really important investment to make. It's not easy, but to paraphrase Kennedy, I mean, we, we do these things not because yes. they're easy. We do these things because they're hard. And, and in the case of Texas, I think they're absolutely necessary for the long-term viability and prospects of the Democratic Party. Who do you see coming up in the party that are some young leaders that you think might be people we should keep an eye on? Congressman Colin Allred from North Texas mm -hmm. is uh, an absolute star. And, you know, I've, I've really seen him um, rise and continue to improve as a candidate. Uh, I saw him on the stump, you know, a few years ago. I saw him on the stump just last year, and he has gotten so much better. Um, in that same neck of the woods, uh, you've got Jasmine Crockett, brand new member of Congress 
who I think is phenomenal. Mark VC, uh, who I served with, uh, who I also think is is really strong. Um, you know, you, you've got folks at the county judge level. And for the listeners who don't know, the county judges in Texas are, are really kind of the, the main yeah. centers of power in this state. We have a, a very devolved, um, you know, constitution here where power is weak in the executive and the governor, and it's kind of shared and spread down into the county. So, you know, you've got Andy Brown in, in Travis County, which is Austin. You have Lena Hidalgo in Harris County. Um, Houston, 5 million people live in that county, more than the entire state of, of Nevada. You have Clay Jenkins up in, in Dallas. You, oh, you sure. really yeah. have mm -hmm. some stars who are coming up right now. And so with a little bit of push, a little bit of money, um, you know, uh, a, a little bit of help, um, they're, they're going to be able to do things. One, one last one, uh, Greg Kassar, uh, you may or may not have followed him, but yeah. he did a great job in Austin at the local level just got elected to, to Congress and, you know, we're expecting great things from him and what he's doing there. And then potentially, you know, statewide or, or beyond down the road. But I want to thank you for coming on today. I really appreciated this conversation. I wish we had like two hours to do this because uh, um, you, you really have a depth of knowledge on Texas that is unparalleled. Um, and we'll be in your state next week for a day or two. I got to, got to go out to Dallas for a couple of days, but uh, I appreciate you coming on. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. And thank you so much for being on the inmates list. Thanks for having me and welcome to Texas. We're looking forward to your visit. Thank you, sir. On today's enemies list, I have two Florida additions. Who are they? Blaze Ingolia, a state senator from the state of Florida, and Jason Brodeur. Now, look. I know these guys. I've known Blaze for a long time. He's sort of that jolly, venal kind of operator guy, state party guy, blah, blah, blah. He decided he was going to put a bill into the legislative process in Florida that would eliminate the Democratic Party. Now, I'm sure this sounded better in the original German in July of 1933, when the Nazi party declared that there would be only one party in the state, in, in the German state. But this is the kind of abuse of power he thinks is a clever troll. He thinks this is ha-ha funny. I'm going to get on Fox News and, and I'm going to talk about owning the libs. But Blaze, listen, dude, what you're proposing is like giving a child a chainsaw. This is a tool of authoritarians and authoritarianism. I know you think it's clever. I know you want to run for governor. I know you think you're just so precious in how you're doing it and that it's going to be hilarious when everybody responds to your, to your clever trolling with outrage. They're responding to it with outrage because it is, in fact, outrageous. It is, in fact, sick. It is, in fact, the kind of thing that you think is a clever culture war play, but is, in fact, something that will lead to much worse consequences. Because your base out there, and you're much smarter than your base. I know you, bro. You're much smarter than your base. I know where you're from. I've known you a long time. Those people believe in QAnon. Those people believe in the most bizarre flat earth shit in the world. You are the people who elect you are insane. And you know what they're going to think? They're not going to think, oh, he was cleverly trolling. They're going to think, well, why do we have a democratic party? Why can't we kill them? After all, they're all communists. After all, they're all, they're all pedophiles. After all, they're all supporters of Joe Biden and the global world order. It's not funny, bro. Now, to flip to Jason Brodeur, another state senator in the state of Florida who is widely regarded as one of the worst shitbirds in the state. I don't know you, Jason, very well. I've met you a couple times, but you're 
um, proposal to require anyone who blogs or writes about Prince Delicate the First Ron DeSantis, uh, Attorney General Ashley Moody, or any other member of the cabinet or legislature will have to register with the state. So if you're blogging about the government of Florida and you wish to either express an opinion or report a fact, now in the state of Florida, Jason Berdour wants you to have a fucking license for it. Well, let me tell you something, bitch. My license is called the United States fucking Constitution. I will go to jail if this law passes before I register with the state of Florida, before I say things about people like you. How dare you? You know, you you talk a big game about adhering to the Constitution. Well, maybe you should fucking read it, Jason. Try the First Amendment to it. Try that one on for size. This is the kind, once again, you think you're being a clever little transgressive owning of the libs, but in fact, you are proposing something that will lead to the decline of faith and belief in the Constitution of the United States of America. My right to say fuck all about you, my right to say that you are a fucking asshole, is profoundly and firmly embedded in the Constitution and requires no license now or ever. Both of you fucks are on the enemy's list. Get your shit together. Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at the Rick Wilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah but you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list. Oh,